You've sung them, but you know what they mean. And we just sung a bunch of words that we really took into heart and sung to him tonight. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Who was it purchased by? Purchased of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. We think about those words. Now, let's look at the last one now. Let's don't. Let's do the second. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. I want you just to sing tonight, folks. Just turn it loose and let's worship him tonight. Let's break all those bounds and all those things that's got us all tied down here tonight and just go to meeting, as Brother Ken says. All right, let's sing. On the second now. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels receive.
Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering, and let me say it's a joy tonight to have those that are visiting with us, and I have the parents and some of the family of some of the teenagers being baptized tonight. We're thrilled you're here, and thank you so much for coming, and others are glad to have you in the service tonight, and Billy, good to see you back, and, and then the marshals have been coming quite a bit, and Buddy and Tammy have been coming quite a bit, and others, and, and several of you. I want you to know we appreciate you visiting with us and are thrilled about having you in our services and in our church. we got a rule around here. If you come three services, we go ahead and send for your letter. Amen. But we're glad that you're here. Let's pray. You give tonight, and let me encourage you to be faithful in your giving. I'm excited about all this going on, a lot of things coming up, Bible conference coming up. We give to that on Wednesday night. And then, of course, the building out here by next Sunday. By next Sunday, you are going to see a major, major change in everything out there. They'll be doing uh, the interior work this week. And several have asked me about the drive through Is it going to be covered from building to building? It will. It will. So when you get out of your car, uh, you'll be dry either way you go. So when we get all that done, but uh, uh, it, it's, I'm excited about it, aren't you? And I'm hoping maybe, Lord willing, they may put the floor in tomorrow if the material got in. Dar's material get in? You think so? And if it didn't get in, it's Dar's fault. So you know, you know how that goes. But uh, I'm really excited about this. I have said this before. This has been one of the most refreshing uh, construction jobs I have ever been in. I've been in all kinds of construction through the years in churches I've pastored and whatever there. And, and this has been just a, a great job. And it's just worked. The Lord's just let everything fall in place. And it's just click one, two, three, four. We've only missed one day of work of rain. And, but it's, it's really coming along good. But next Sunday... You're going to see, get a good idea of what is the finished product is going to look like. But you keep on giving, and uh, we still have uh, some needs there, uh, though God is supplying. But if you have a special gift that you want to drop, mark for the building fund. Uh, we'd appreciate that. You pray about that, and maybe something you want to give extra to what you've given. I promise you we could use it. And I promise you this. You give us money, we'll take it. Say amen. We'll take it. But uh, we appreciate the way you do give. Father, bless the offering. Thank you for what you've been able to do here and, and that we, our folks, have not tied your hands or limited you uh, either in their lack of faith or in their giving. So many things, Lord, you've been able to do here in this place because these folks want to follow you and they want to experience you, and I thank you for it. Bless the offering tonight. Continue to bless all the things that are going on and today and throughout the next several weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.
one day for men brought a crippled man to Jesus. Still and lifeless he lay upon his bed. He had not moved since he was just a baby. Still he longed to become a normal man. Now we don't know much about the men that carry the corners of his tattered bed that day. But if we may create an illustration, we'll see what these men might have to say. Suppose I first men said I ain't doubted, for Jesus touched my eyes and I was blind. And he made me see, and there's no doubt about it. For Jesus needs it more serious than mine. So for that second man said, don't need to bother. This man's condition will remain the same. Both Jesus touched my head when it was withered. I don't believe he can heal a man so lame. So for that third man said, I hate the question. Holding me, though Jesus cleansed me when I was a leper, this helpless man will never walk and see. Then every eye was turned to the fourth man to see how he might criticize and doubt. But all three men were startled with amazement when that fourth man stopped and said his name out loud. morning we had a power failure we've had a lot of people ask us to do it again so we're going to attempt it again tonight thank god i am free
said and done, and there ain't nothing wrong having a good time on the way to getting there either, so. <laughs> that means hush, I'm ready to sing. Oh, so 
tonight as the choir comes down and once you get out and shake hands with everyone make everyone feel welcome amazing grace tonight we're gonna sing that but get out shake hands don't just stand around
finished shaking hands, go ahead and get your songbook. Turn over to page number 386. My Jesus, I love thee. 386. Get your songbook. Continue shaking hands. Don't quit. Just go ahead. We'll be ready to go in just a minute here. While you're waiting 
storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, Thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the host of hell is sailed and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I do the best I can and my friends misunderstand, 
Thou who knowest all about me, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When my foes in battle assail, undertake to stop my way. Thou who saved Paul and Silas, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, Lord, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden and I'm nearing chilly Jordan, Oh, thou lily of the valley, stand by me. Oh, thou lily of the valley, Lord, stand by me. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. While you're doing so, let me say, He certainly will stand by you. Aren't you glad for that? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Open your Bibles there and we'll look at a few verses as we continue making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Let me say it's a joy to see Robert and Jennifer here tonight. I wasn't sure they'd make it back tonight. <laughs> I hear a lot more than what you give me credit for. For example, when I was talking about, when I said, take your wife down to the Walnut Street Bridge, I heard James Brown say, push her off. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> Didn't he? When I said, take her out and play horseshoes, I heard him say, if I can get them off her feet, amen. <laughs> He did. But I am glad to see Robert Jennifer. How are you doing, Robert? You all right? Amen. <laughs> Grace and Mary, and I come in tonight, they said, now, you told us go out, and of course, they're all single. They said, you told us go out sporting this week. Tell us how we're going to do that. And I said, I said, just pray real hard, amen. But I'm glad, uh, glad you're getting something, <laughs> amen. <laughs> well, as you know now, for well over a year, we've been making our way through 1 Corinthians on Sunday night. In fact, this is the 51st message that I have brought out of the book of 1 Corinthians. And as soon as we get through Corinthians, I'm going into the book of Joshua on Sunday nights. 
I usually do a book from the New Testament, then one from the Old Testament, and then back to the New Testament, and just back and forth. And, but uh, in just a couple of more weeks, we're going to conclude this great book. But tonight, I want us to think about this thought. Don't forget your offering on Sunday. I hate to kill a good service about preaching on giving, but verses 1 through 4 just happen to follow verse 58 of chapter 15, so we're moving our way through, so we get to these verses that deals with the subject of giving. Now, I want to say this tonight. I, I don't have any problems with giving. Somebody can preach to me and preach about giving and talk about giving, and it will not bother me one iota. I don't squirm. I don't have any problem with it because I settled the matter of giving years ago. And I've found through the years, and I've been pastoring now since I was 19 years old, and I've found through the years that anybody that has a problem when a preacher preaches on giving, it's usually because they have a problem about the matter of giving. Am I not right? Say amen. Apparently several of you do. I didn't get many amens out of that. But uh, it is a great subject. And honestly, I say this. If you ever grasp the concept of biblical giving, it will change your life. It really will. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and beginning in verse 1, we read from God's word. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's look at these four verses tonight as we continue making our way through 1 Corinthians. And let's think tonight on don't forget your offering on Sunday. Let's pray. Our Father tonight, in Jesus' name, it's been a delightful day in the house of the Lord. And all through this day, your presence has been real. And all through this day, Lord, you've given us words that have blessed our hearts. And you've given us words, Lord, that have encouraged our hearts. And we thank you so much for just being mindful of us and just being interested in our lives. Interested enough that you would uh, save us and interested enough, Lord, that you would care about what we go through in life and that you would take the time just to meet with us and just to bless our hearts. We are grateful, Lord, for your grace and your mercy in our life that we experience day by day, yea, hour after hour after hour. Our Father, we ask you to help us to grow spiritually. We want to be a congregation, Lord, that is not only growing numerically, but we want to be a congregation that is growing spiritually. And Lord, we know that we grow spiritually when we grow in the Word of God. And we look at the Word of God and listen to the Word of God and then apply the teachings of the Word of God to our life, even in this matter of giving. So, Father, tonight, help us to realize that we're listening to your Word and give us ears to hear what you say in your Word. And may we learn what the Word of God said and then apply it in our life that we might grow spiritually. So bless our time together tonight, our study, and we'll thank you and praise you for it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we ask these things. Amen. Someone has written, you will never be sorry for telling the truth. 
You will never be sorry for living a pure life. You'll never be sorry for your faith in Christ. And I promise you, you'll never be sorry for your faith in Christ. You'll never be sorry for acknowledging your sins, for doing your best, for forgiving your enemies, for helping a fallen brother, for being honest in business, for standing by your principles, for bridling a slanderous tongue. You'll never be sorry for being courteous and kind, and you'll never be sorry for money given to the Lord's work. I say amen to all of those, and especially the last one. For I have found through these years in trying to serve God and trying to be a leader of people that no one has ever been sorry and no one will ever be sorry for the money that they have given or the money they will give to the work of God. No, you will never be sorry for learning to give and giving as God is so instructed in the Bible. You'll have no regrets that's not my promise. That's the promise of the Word of God. I think of a story I read one time about the great composer and pianist Paderewski. And it was a story about two young men that were working their way through Stanford University. And at one point, their money was almost gone. So they decided to engage the great pianist for a concert and to use the profits for their board and tuition. They thought, we'll get him here, we'll get a good crowd, we'll be able to pay for him and make enough money off of it to pay for our tuition. Well, they had called him and asked about him, and his manager asked for a guarantee of $1,000. And so the students went to work trying to promote the concert, and they had the concert, but when it was all said and done, they came up about $400 short. And after the concert, they went to the musician and they gave him all the money they had raised and they promised that they would send the $400 or pay the $400 as soon as they could. It appeared from these two boys' viewpoint that their college days was over. But here's what the great pianist did. And it's what he did. It's a great lesson in giving. He told the boys to take out the money they had raised, their expenses, and whatever expenses they had incurred in getting the concert and promoting it. Not only that, he told each one of the boys to keep for themselves 10% of the money for their schooling, and he would take whatever was left. And that's what they did. Well, the years went by, and later Paderewski became premier of Poland following World War II. And during that time, thousands of his countrymen were starving. And there was only one man that could help, and that was the head of the U.S. Food and Relief Bureau, who at the time happened to be Herbert Hoover. And Paderewski's appeal to him brought thousands of tons to food to help his people. Later, Paderewski had the opportunity to meet the great American statesman and to personally thank him for himself. And this is what Hoover said to him. He said, that's all right. Besides, you don't remember you helped me once when I was a student in college. You see, Hoover, Hoover had happened to be one of the two young men that had got him to do the concert. I read that story, I thought about when we give to God, God always brings it back into our life one way or the other. And for that reason, you will never, and I repeat, you will never be sorry for the money that is given to the work of God. Some way, somewhere, sometime, God is going to bring it back in your life. I read about a fellow who bought a new boomerang and he killed himself trying to throw the old one away. Well, I want you to know that giving has a boomerang effect. 
that you give to God somewhere, it will come back to you, and it will come back to you with blessed results and blessed rewards. I think it's something that Jimmy Carter once said. He said, when it comes to giving, some people will stop at nothing. And I would also say amen to that. But I think of how tragic it is that many believers have never learned the blessing of giving to God. And many believers have never learned the joy of being able to give to the Lord. And especially, it's tragic when you realize over and over and over again in His Word that He blesses those who give. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul talks about, in the very beginning verses, about the matter of giving. We have looked at chapters 1 through 15, and Paul has dealt with basically two things in the first 15 chapters. He has dealt with doctrinal matters, and he's dealt with moral matters. But when you come to the last chapter, chapter 16, he deals with practical or personal matters. One writer, I found an interesting comment about this chapter in one book I was reading this week. He simply called it a little chatty session. And so you might say that when Paul begins to chat to us in chapter 16, the first thing that he talks about and the first thing he gives instructions about is this matter of giving. Now let me say this before we look at the passage. To me, this is one of the most instructive passages in all the Bible about giving. If you really want to know what the Bible says about our giving, and if you really want to know what the Bible teaches about giving, to me, this is one of the most most instructive passages in all of the New Testament. For example, you read in verse 1. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints. Put circle or bracket around, brackets around the word collection. For the word collection that is used here is a very interesting word. An interesting word, I should say, that is used for giving. As used here, it simply talks about the gathering of money. But yet the word itself, or the word that it comes from, says much more about the word collection. For example, the word that is translated collection in verse 1 is a word that comes from the word or the Greek word logos, which is a word that means word. For example, in John 1, in the beginning, the logos, or in the beginning, the word was made flesh and was dwelt among us. Verse 14, and the word dwelt among us. That same word is where you get the word that is used here in translated collection in our English Bible. It is a word that talks about words. It is a word that has the ideal of communication. For example, you take the word collection. It has embodied in it this basic ideal, that of saying something about a particular matter. Now, I find that interesting that he would use that word for our giving because when he uses that word, he is implying to us that our giving says something. That the way we give and our attitude about giving, even the amount that we give, says something about an individual and says something about a church. You might say your giving is a tattletale of your heart. That the way we give to God is a tattletale of our life. It speaks volumes about me and it speaks volumes about you as an individual. I guess the best test that you could apply to anybody the depth of their Christian life and the depth of their obedience to God would be their giving because that our giving says a whole lot about whether or not I love God. It says a whole lot about whether or not I trust God. It says a whole lot whether or not I will be obedient to God. It says a lot about me. It says a lot about you. I believe this. I believe that the offerings that are received in churches on Sunday morning and Sunday night say a whole lot about a church. I believe it says volumes about that congregation. You take a church that gives very little, 
and whatever. I believe that says a whole lot about the spiritual depth of that congregation. And I believe one of the telltale signs of a spiritually growing congregation, you can tell it by the offering board. Because I believe that when a people is growing spiritually, the offerings will grow numerically. And we've experienced that here through the years. Because what it does giving is a good measuring stick of a church's commitment and their spiritual death. It says something about all of us. The way we give, our attitude about giving, it says something about us. I guess a good question that each of us could ask ourselves tonight is, what does my giving say about me? What am I, one of the most, one of the, what should I say, one of the most regular entries in our checkbook ought to be to God's work. And I believe one of the categories that ought to be the biggest category in our finances ought to be the matter of giving to God. Again, because giving says something about us. When you look at other references in the Bible, you find the same ideal is there. For example, jot this reference down, but listen to it. You look it up later. Acts 24, 17. The Bible said, now after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Now the word alms that is used there is a word that literally means a merciful expression. Paul was saying that my alms, he's talking about giving, is an expression of something. He has the same idea that what I give in my alms and what I give in my offerings express something about me. It was a merciful expression. Again, in 2 Corinthians 9, 5, jot this reference down. The the Bible said, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. The word bounty there is another word for giving. And the word that is used here is literally a, means a good communication. That which is, it literally means fine speaking. It was a word that was often used to describe someone that was a very eloquent speaker. But he talks about, uses that word and talk about bounty, talk about giving. Now all through the Bible you find the idea that giving expresses something. That giving says something about us says something about me, it says something about you, it says something about the church. Well, understanding all this, I want you to look at the text, and I'll be brief. I'll give you four simple things from the text, what Paul has to say about the matter of giving. Again, I said, this is one of the most instructive passages in all the New Testament about giving. I want you to look at four things, very simple things. First of all, I want you to think with me about the who of giving, the who of giving. Notice in verse 2 these words, let every one of you. Notice that statement, verse 2, let every one of you. Now you find in that statement who is to give. The who of a giving, the who of giving in this chapter here, in this passage here, is identified in the words of verse 1, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Now the question is who is to give. Verse 1, it's an order that's given to the churches. That would indicate that the churches are to give. Or to be more specific, the members of the churches are to give. Or to even be be more specific, believers that have been saved by grace that make up the membership of the church, they are the ones that are to give. To put it very simply, if you are a Christian, then you are to be a giver. Now, I'll point out two things about the who of giving from our text. For one thing, I see that giving is an individual matter. You notice Paul says, you, 
every one of you. Now, when you read the words, let every one of you, you ought to read it this way. You ought to read it with the attitude that Paul or God, and when I say Paul wrote it, I want to remind you the Holy Spirit actually wrote the Bible. It's God's Word, though He used human instruments to write the Word of God. So when I say Paul, I really mean God and divine Word of God. But you ought to read this as if God is not just speaking to the Corinthian church, but God speaking to you. You ought to put a circle around the word you and initial it there. Put your initials or write your name down there because he's talking about you. He's talking to me. When I read 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Paul or God is telling me through his word that I am to be a giver. I am to give to the work of God. I think about a study that was done by the Bureau of Labor Statistics for Americans and how they spend their income. And I found it interesting how Americans spend their income. They found that Americans spend their income as follows. 23% of our spending involves shelter. That would be for your house and things like that. 21% of our spending involves our transportation. That's cars and all that kind of stuff. 15% of our spending involves food. 8% involves retirement. 7% for utilities. 5% for clothing. 5% for entertainment. 5% for medical care, 3% for savings, 1% for insurance, that excludes car, car and home, and 7% for miscellaneous. Now, when I read that list there, I thought, where's charitable giving? I couldn't help but ask that question. When I went down through there and I saw this study how they say that Americans spend their money, I asked myself, well, where's charitable giving on the list? And it didn't have any reference to it or say anything about it. And I assumed that maybe it was included in that 7% miscellaneous. I am not sure. But the first thing I thought about was where is charitable giving? And then as I thought about it more, I began to wonder and to think that it's very possible that it's not even listed because charitable giving does not play a large part in how Americans spend their money. But I want to say to you tonight that when it comes to the matter of Christians and giving, Every believer ought to give to the work of God. Let every one of you, and talking to me, talking to you, we are all to give to God. Why? Because God told us to give. We're to be a giver. Not only is it an individual matter, but second of all, it is an inclusive matter. Read it this way, and I put emphasis on another word. Let every one of you. It is an individual matter. Let every one of you give to God. But it's also an inclusive matter. Let every one of you. Now, you see, when we gather on Sunday, there's something that ought to happen from every one of us. Not everybody can participate in the music tonight. Not everybody can do what I am doing. Not everybody could have been up here singing specials. Not everybody can play. But there is something that everybody is to do. When we gather on Sunday, there is something that everyone here is to participate in. And that is giving. For he says, look at it carefully. This is God's Word. Let every one of you, everyone. Now, you know what that word everyone means? It means everybody. That's what it means. Let every one of you. Now, I wonder on Sundays, here or anywhere else, when the offering is received, I wonder if everyone gives. I seriously doubt it. But on the other hand, here's the Word of God. Let every one of you, it is an inclusive matter. Every believer is to participate in the matter of giving. 
I think about on one occasion, the, one occasion the great Dr. R.G. Lee was baptizing, and they always had someone there that instruct the candidates and show them where to put their valuables so they would not uh, be damaged by water and whatever. And so one fellow started getting the baptistry with his billfold, this true story, and the fellow stopped him and said, you've got your billfold in your pocket. You need to take it out and you get it wet. And he said, I want my billfold to be baptized too. Well, I want to say tonight, everybody ought to have your billfold baptized. Amen. And I'm talking about the matter of giving. On any given service, on any given Sunday, and any service, there will be many that will attend the house of God and not participate in the giving. But again, listen to the Word of God. Let every one of you. Can I put it this way? When Sunday comes, you should forget your checkbook. Bring your checkbook with you because everybody is to participate. It is an individual matter. None of us are excluded. Everybody is included. That is the who of giving. Are you still with me now? Say amen. But look at the second thing in our text. Not only does he talk about the who of giving, but he talks about the where of giving. Now, you notice in verse 1 that the order that is given there is concerning the churches. Look at it again. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches. Now, when he talks about the churches there and the instructions given to them concerning their given, that would indicate that the church is to be a place and the place of your giving. Now, when I think about the church, I think of the church as two things. One, the church is a place of gathering. He says in verse 2, upon the first day of the week. Now, underscore that statement for just a moment. Upon the first day of the week. The first day of the week, as you know, is Sunday. The first day of the week is not Saturday. And, and the first day of the week is Sunday. Sa Saturday, the Sabbath, is the last day of the week. But he said, upon the first day of the week. And this would imply in that statement that in Paul's time, believers were already beginning to gather on the first day and not on the last day. You see, to the early church, the first day of the week was recognized as the Lord's day. And the reason it was recognized as the Lord's day was because it was on the first day of the week that Christ rose again from the dead. And so the early church began to meet on the Lord's day or the first day of the week to meet there, distinguish the first day from the seventh day or the Sabbath or Saturday, which was identified with the law. And so they began to meet on the first day, which was identified with the resurrection and which was identified with grace. Now, when you read the history of the early church, you'll find that in the early beginning, there is evidence to show that for a while, the church met on the Jewish Sabbath. And that was usually in, on Friday night. The Jewish Sabbath began, when sun, began with sundown on Friday, and it ended with sundown on Saturday. In the very beginning, history shows us and evidence shows that the early church would begin meeting. They were meeting primarily on the Jewish Sabbath, which would have been late on Friday afternoon. And you'll find there was much evidence that much of the liturgy of the synagogues was maintained by the early church. But then things began to change. And even by the writing of 1 Corinthians, distinctions between Judaism and Christianity were becoming more apparent and becoming more distinct. And to make it even more distinct and to precipitate this division, Christians began to worship on Sunday rather than on Saturday, the first day of the week. And again, it was to honor and celebrate the resurrection of Christ that they were no longer under the law, but they were now under grace. 
And when Paul said upon the first day of the week, he is implying that that's what believers were doing even at his time. And 1 Corinthians was one of the earliest books of the New Testament that was written. Now, I'm not going to argue whether you ought to go to church on Saturday and Sunday, but I'm saying this. As far as the Bible is concerned, believers gathered on the first day of the week. And whether it's Saturday or Sunday, all I'm saying is that you ought to gather in the house of God every week. Amen? It is a place of gathering. It has been instituted by God. You see, the church is not something that someday, one day somebody thought of and said, let's do this and we'll get everybody together on Sunday when they're off work. No, this is God's day, is designed by God, established by God, and he ordered the assembly of the church to come together on the first day. The church is a place for gathering. But second of all, as our text tells us, it's a place of giving. For you see, on Sunday, not only should we gather as believers, but we should give as believers. Notice the words in verse 2. It says that each of us is to lay by him in store. You see that phrase? Lay by him in store. We're to do it upon the first day of the week. We're to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to gather together and we are to give or we are to lay by him in store. You see that word in store, the two words in store, they come, they really one word, and transliterated, they give us our word thesaurus, which is the most important book that any preacher has. But they give us our word thesaurus. And thesaurus is really, it's a, thesaurus means, and if I could even say it, thesaurus is a word that means a treasury. When you talk about thesaurus, you're talking about a treasury of words. And when you're talking about laying in store here, the ideal is of a treasury. You see, the treasury were, treasuries were often associated with the religious temples in those days. And these temples had these repositories, or they had these, uh, much like what we call a bank account. And in those days, people would bring their monies and their valuables to their temples in Rome and Greece and whatever for the safekeeping of their valuables and the safekeeping of their money and things like that. It served, the temples in those days served a lot like a bank works in our life and in our society. And so he told me about the word treasury comes from that idea. But Paul's word here, lay by him in treasury, lay by him in store, would indicate that in the very beginning, the early church had developed their own treasures. And it was not so much for people to use as a bank to save, keep their monies and their valuables but uh, they had set up their own accounts, as we would call them today, for people to put money into the church and into the work of God. Or to put it very simply, on the first day of the week, the church took up offerings and they managed the money that the people gave for the work of God. Now, all this implies to me that the church is to be your place of giving. Now, this is not to say that we're not to give others, to give to others or outside the church. And I give, I listen, I give more than what I am required by God to this church. But I oftentimes, I, in meetings, I go into meetings and different things, and I've often taken and take not only tithe off of what I get in a meeting and put it into my church, but also take a tithe of that and send it to some evangelists. I've sent literally hundreds and thousands of dollars to evangelists through the years. And so I give outside the church as well. But the primary place of giving is to be our church. Now, every believer is to give as God has commanded us to give. And we're to give to the church that we belong. And I've often said this, that if I went to a church that I could not give to that church, I would go to another church because I'm to give. 
and I am to give to my church. That is a command of God. That is the where of our giving. The gathering on Sunday and the giving of the people of God is a part of that gathering. So when we receive an offering on Sunday morning, that is Bible. That is scriptural to receive an offering. And if I could find a verse in there and say, well, take two, I'd take two. Say amen right there. But it's giving, the where of our giving. But look at the number three, the third thing I point out in the text. Not only does he talk about the who of our giving, and not only does he talk about the where of our giving, but he talks about the what of our giving. Now, we know who is to give, every one of you. We know where we're to give to the church, lay by him in store. But the question often comes up, what am I to give? And the what of our giving is described by the words as God hath prospered him. Now, notice Paul's words do not give us a specific amount to give. They do not say you ought to give this, uh, this amount, or whatever like that. But they do say a whole lot about what we're to give. And they do say a whole lot about the amount we're to give. For example, I point out two things. One, there is the amount of our giving. Now, what is the amount? You notice in our text in that statement there, as God hath prospered him, that the amount of our giving depends on our prosperity. That the amount of our giving depends on how we have prospered. Or to put it in other words, in very simple words, our giving is to be based on what we have. Our giving is to be based on what we have. As we've seen, everyone is to give. Let every one of you. But it would be very, everybody would understand that on Sunday when we gather, that everybody is to give, but that everybody could not give the same thing. Somebody would be able to give a much larger amount than someone else. And someone else may have to give a very small amount. It may be pennies compared to dollars, hundreds of dollars for somebody else. One may be able to give more, one may have to give less. But the amount that we give on Sunday and the amount that we are to give on Sunday depends upon what we have. It depends upon how we have been prospered. I found an interesting independent study. It found that households with incomes below $10,000... Now listen, this is interesting. Uh, that households with incomes below $10,000 gave an average of 2.8% of their income. While households with incomes between fifty and one hundred thousand gave only one point five percent of their income, households with an average of income ten thousand dollars or an average of ten thousand dollars gave an average of two point eight percent, while those with fifty thousand between fifty and one hundred thousand only gave one point five percent, and that nearly half of the total contributions to charity in the United States came from households with incomes below $30,000. And they found that the average total giving to charity per household was $790. Now, that study says several things to me. What it reveals is that those who have the least usually give the most. That those who have the smallest income percentage-wise usually give the most money. And that, may I say, that is a complete reversal of what the Bible teaches. That a person is to give based on what they have. And that if you have more, you are expected by God to give more. 
The less, the, you, you give based on what you have. You take another matter that I found interesting in that study. It said that the average total giving of church members every year is around $790. You break that down by 52 weeks, that comes out to $15 a week. Now, I would say tonight that if your income is a little more than $7,000, that would be great. That would be fine. Wouldn't be anything wrong with that. But if your income is $14,000 and you only give $790, you have not only disobeyed God, but you've given half of what you were supposed to give to God. Let me put it this way. If you make $20,000 a year at the end of the year, you ought to be able to get a a statement from your church saying, I gave at least $2,000 this year to the church. I take my statement that comes from me every year and and look at my W-2 that I file, and I compare them together, what my income is, and I look over here and say, did I give this amount, the amount that I picked out that I give each year? And I want to base it upon that. And we, but when it comes to this matter of giving, that it's based on what we give or what we have. But it's a tragic that those who have the least, usually percentage-wise, are those who give the most. I want you to understand something tonight, that when you give, God could care less about the actual amount on your check. Because God is not looking down at what the figure is on your check. It is the percentage of what you have that God looks at. That's why somebody on Sunday morning may come here and put in $10 and give more than somebody that comes here that makes $100,000 a year. Some person on fixed income has very little, may put in $20 on a Sunday and give 10 times more than somebody that put in $100 based on what they have. That's how God looks at our giving. So I want you to understand something, that when God looks down, he's looking at the percentage. Really what he's doing, he's looking at what you have and what you have left. That's how God evaluates giving. That's the amount to give based on what you have. Are you with me now? Say amen. Look at the second thing. Not only the amount of our giving, but the appreciation of our giving. Look at the statement again and listen to it. As God hath prospered us. You know what Paul is saying in that statement? He is recognizing that God is the source of what we have. He's saying that it's God that's prospered us and that what we have, we owe it to God. The measure of our giving is to be be based on what we have and the motive of our giving is to be based on our appreciation to God for what He has given us. You know what giving is all about? It is an act of gratitude. Giving is an expression of our thanksgiving. It is recognizing that what I have It's because God's let me have it. And what I have been given is because God has allowed me to get it. Some may get more than others. It's not an issue who gets more or less, this, that, and the other. It's a matter you ought to look at this way. Whatever you were able to bring home, you ought to stop and think. God gave you health to be able to work that job. Job God gave you the mental capacity to do what you do. God gave you the strength. God gave you the health. If it had not been for God anyway, you look at it, you wouldn't have brought home anything. You wouldn't have anything. For friend, everything we've got, we owe it to God. And when we give to God, it's as God hath prospered us. It is recognizing that God is the source of all we have, and our giving is an expression of gratitude to God. So when you drop your check in next week, or whenever it is, just drop it in there and say, thank you, God, that I'm able to do this. God, you let me have a job. I'd like to have another, but I I, I thank you for my job, and I thank you for it's an act of gratitude. That's the what of giving. But look at a final thing, the fourth and the final thing. Not only the who of giving. Let every one of you 
the where of giving, the church, the what of giving, as God hath prospered you. But third or fourthly and last of all, the why of giving. I've already insinuated some things or some reasons why we ought to give. We ought to give because we're commanded to give. It's a way of showing our appreciation. But there's one more reason found in our text why we ought to give to God, demonstrated in this text. You notice, first of all, the ministry of the money that is given. You look in verse 1 again. You notice that the collection was what? For the saints. I'll read it carefully. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, not the collection from the saints, but the collection for the saints. You read down in verse 3 who the saints are. It was the church at Jerusalem. Now, what he's talking about is something that the church at Corinth... Now, they had a lot of problems. You know, we went through Corinthians over the past 51 weeks, and they, we've seen all kinds of problems. But one thing they didn't have a problem with was giving. And you'll learn more about that whenever we study 2 Corinthians. And the Jerusalem church, for example, was experiencing great persecution, and the Jerusalem saints were living in dire poverty. They had very limited resources. They were going through great difficulty. And you know what the early church did in those days? Many of the early churches in Corinthian, the Corinthian church as well, they sent money to help the saints at Jerusalem. And when Paul talks about giving here a collection, he's talking about a collection of money that he's going to take up in the church to help the believers and the believers at the church of Jerusalem. In other words, he's talking about money that is being taken up, given by the people of God, channeled into ministry. Now listen to me tonight. One of the reasons for our giving is to provide for ministry. And ministry is done through the local church. And I want you to understand something tonight. Churches could not engage in ministry if it wasn't for giving. Now one of the reasons I don't have any difficulty preaching about giving is because the Bible tells, tells the Bible is very clear about the matter, and I've committed my life to preaching the Bible. But another reason is because giving, and I encourage you to give, and you know giving is a big part of what we do here, but I do so, and I have no reservations in doing so because what I'm talking about is God's people giving money that we might do ministry. Just like the church of Corinth, helping the believers out down in Jerusalem, sending money down to the saints at Jerusalem. You see, we give in order that we might do our ministry. You realize if folks didn't give, we couldn't even be here tonight. We, couldn't ha we wouldn't have any lights. We couldn't build buildings. We couldn't buy programs and, and, and ministry tools and all these kind of things that we use. We couldn't have staff. We couldn't have the things that we do that where we have someone in the hospitals visiting people and going to the nursing homes and doing all these kind of things and ministering to people day in and day out and helping others and, and all the hundreds of dollars of benevolence that we do here month after month after month helping people that have needs and doing this and doing that. We couldn't do any of it. Missions. And plaque given to us this morning about being one of the 200 churches and Baptist International Missions, and he said strongly in the 200, uh, this church has been for years in the top 10 churches that give to the work of God in missions. And we could not give over $9,000 a month to help send missionaries around the world if it wasn't for giving. 
Now, why do we give? We give for ministry. Are you with me? We give for ministry to enable certain ones God has called to minister in certain categories, such as staff members, to be able to have buildings to house these kind of ministries and to do this and to do that. We give in order to support the work of God. That's what they were giving for. That's this particular offering, a collection saying something about the church of Corinth that they may reach out to the church at Jerusalem. But there's something else I want to point out in closing here tonight. Not only is it talk about the ministry of money giving, but the management of money giving. Look in verse 3 and 4. He said, and when I come, now you remember he's writing to them. This is a letter. And he said, my goal is I want to come back, and I'm planning on coming back, and when I come whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality, to bring your offering, what you're going to do uh, for the saints of Jerusalem, to bring your liberality to Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Now, what he's talking about here is sending money to the church of Jerusalem. It's already stated. In doing so, he tells the church of Corinth, I want you to appoint certain ones to manage the money. I want you to give letters to them or... I want you to somehow uh, just state here, uh, give me what, it, what we would say today. He's saying, I want you to give them a copy of the minutes where you approve them to manage the money and deliver that money. And he said, if I'm able to be there and go with them, then go with me. But he said, I, whatever the case is, if I'm there, fine. If not, I want you to send them. I want you to approve certain ones to manage the money and see to it the money gets to where it ought to be. And the money is channeled into ministry and specifically to the believers at Jerusalem here. What he's talking about is certain ones entrusted by the church to manage the money that is given by the people of God. And it's another, just an idea, it's just a slight hint at church government, how the God is, uh, how God's people, they come together, they give in order for ministry, and how that the church is to be very responsible and accountable for the money that the people of God gives. It's money that is God's money to be watched over and managed and channeled into ministry. Now, I realize tonight that every church handles their finances and the management of those finances differently but whatever the process whatever the process is in this matter of managing the money it's how god paul god's people are to give and there be certain ones to manage the money same thing we have here this church is for a number of years we don't come out here as you know and uh, don't have business meetings every month and whatever like that. We don't come out here and bore you little details. We're going to say, we're going to send ten dollars here. We're going to five dollars here, twenty dollars here. And I know some would like to do that, but I really don't. I've never found anywhere in the Bible that's supposed to be. I find where the Bible talks about where you are to entrust people to manage the money, and they are to manage that money for God. And if they manage it right, it become very, very obvious to the people of God. And I will say here, I honestly say this. I've been pastoring churches twenty since I was nineteen years old. And I want you to say, I want to say to you tonight that you can be proud of the men that God has given to us, our body of deacons and different things, and their ability and uh, the way money is managed here. You can be certainly proud. All you got to look around over these past few years. It's very obvious that the money is being used. Would you not say amen to that? And so, but it's, it's just the way God set it up. But let me just say this in closing. It is a blessing to give. He talks about who is to give. He's talking about where we are to give. He talks about what we are to give, and he talks about why we are to give. And I say, I read that, and it just blesses me. Well, it don't bother me. That's not one of those passages I pass over. It's a delightful passage, because a number of years ago, I learned the joy of giving. And I want to tell you where I learned to give to God. When I was 16 years old, working a little old fast food place and things like that, I didn't make a whole lot of money, $25, $35 a week at the very most. And I'd probably drop in a little bit here and a little bit there and whatever like that. But our church was very mission-minded. I remember one night on a Saturday night, they had a children's home. I believe it's Brookside Children's Home. Fred Potter from Bristol, Tennessee, 
brought the kids to our home church. Those kids, they got up and they sung that night and testified. Boy, God ripped my heart out. I was 16 years old at the time. Hadn't been saved very long. And God really got a hold of my heart that night about giving. And I think I had maybe $25, $26, $27 in my pocket, which to me was a lot of money. To any teenager, it's a lot of money. Well, it used to be. I mean, it used to be uh, we, you do this for a dollar and whatever. Now, kids, as I found through the years, my first one, Dad let me borrow $5. My second one, Dad let me borrow $10. My third one, Dad let me borrow $40. You know how that goes through the years, amen? But I gave, that night God spoke to my heart. I took my bill phone, took everything out, and gave that children something. I'll never forget that night how God blessed my heart and let me worship that night. And when I got so blessed in giving, I thought, boy, if it's this good to give, I'm going to do this more. And it's been through the years, it's been a joy to give and a real joy to be able to come on Sunday morning and put my money in. And I give to show my love to God. I give to be obedient to God. I give so this church can do more. And I give so I, for ministry there. And many of you do the same thing. That's obvious because of what God has given us and what he continues to give us here. But I would say some of you have never got in on it yet. Can I just say something to you? Next Sunday when you start the church, don't forget the checkbook. Bring it. Why? You telling me to do that? No, ain't somebody a whole lot bigger than me telling, me, telling you to do it. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed. Those are going to be bad. Slip out. The ladies will go down by the piano and organ and right through the door and up the steps. The men will go down this side over here through the door and up the steps. And uh, Terry, a couple of you, I'd help you go up there and guide them and direct them and different things. And we'll be baptizing them in just a moment. But it is a blessing to give. Thank you for the way you give. And many of you could learn the blessing and the joy of giving. Let every one of you. Now here, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. When I think about giving, I think about the greatest giver of them all. You know who that is? It is our God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you realize we're going to heaven because God is a giver? God gave his son. God gave his son so nobody would have to die and go to hell. What a blessing it is to see these teenagers tonight. Father, Lord, and believers' baptism. Teenagers that just recently accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, God gave them eternal home. You're going to see folk, Father, Lord, and believers' baptism tonight. A couple of teenagers that will not have to go to hell because they've accepted Christ. And you know why they don't have to go to hell? It's because God gave his son. That's the greatest gift of all. That's the greatest giver of them all. So when I think about our giving, it is nothing compared to what God gave, but it is the gift and the giving whereby every one of us tonight are saved and have the assurance of going to heaven. There may be somebody in the room tonight that does not know that you're saved. And when we sing in just a moment, I want to invite you to get up out of your seat. And there'll be someone down here to meet you, and they'll take the Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can be saved, and you could leave this building tonight knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus lives in your heart and that heaven is your home. That'd be a great thing for you to do, and I would encourage you to do that. Whatever the reason, let, as believers, let God take His Word, put it in your heart, work it in your life, build you, grow you, mature you through what God says. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your Word. We learn what you expect of us from your word. 
We learn what you want us to do, how you want us to do it. And Lord, even in our giving tonight, we see in your word what you want, how you want us to approach it, how you want us to look at it. And I thank you for telling us what you want, even in giving. I thank you, Lord, for saving us. And I thank you, Lord, that you are the greatest giver of them all. You are the one that gave your son that we might have life. And I thank you for it. I ask you now tonight, Lord, if there be somebody here that's not saved, they don't know for certain if they died, they go to heaven, would you help them tonight to get up out of their seat and walk down here and let somebody take your blessed word and show them how they can go to heaven when they die? I pray tonight you would speak to some soul, precious soul. If it's someone here, God help them know that we love them and care about them. God help them know that you love them and we won't see them saved. If there's some believer here tonight that's serving you and not really obeying you in little things such as giving, really not a little thing, but in this matter, God help them to take your word and grow from it and be blessed as a result of trusting God and obeying God. So, Father, speak now to every heart. Heads are bowed, or eyes are closed. I ask you a question. How many of you tonight, without anyone looking, just slip your hand up and say, I'm saved. I, there was a day of my life I came to Christ. I accepted Christ as my Savior. Would you lift your hand high and hold it there just a moment?